Good morning. So I don't know about you, but one of the things that uh, I learned early on uh, as I began following Jesus was just that uh, he makes such a difference in my life. And probably partly because of the way I'm wired, I like talking about Jesus and sharing Jesus with people. Um, and not in, a, in an awkward way, not in a coercive way, but just in a way like, hey, I'm excited about what faith means in my life, and I'd love to um, just invite you to explore following Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to do that with coworkers or friends or family, and sometimes it's challenging, and then you're worried that they might ask questions, and you don't know how to answer those questions. And uh, there's an organization that's been developed called Alpha, and Alpha is about um, inviting people with you to explore the questions of faith that so many people have. And just want to uh, encourage you, on March 10th, we are participating in encouraging you to get involved with Alpha Online. Uh, uh, I forget how many weeks it is, it's multiple weeks, and it's online, inviting somebody who's important to you to journey with you in exploring some of these questions that they might have. You will walk away learning more, they will come away having learned more, and you might have some fantastic follow-up conversations. So here's a little video telling you a little bit about uh, what Alpha is like. We all have that person in our lives. That neighbor we pass by every day outside our homes. That coworker we see at the office five days a week. Or those friends we catch up with every once in a while. People we wish could know and experience the love of God. How do we share it? Where do we even start? Deep inside, we know that it'll cost us something to open up our lives and share our faith. It takes time, vulnerability, sacrifice, the risk of rejection. But this is our call, to open our lives and to share Christ with the people close to us. Because it's only through opening your life up that spaces for honest conversations are possible. Spaces where people can truly be themselves and explore the deepest parts of life with people they know and trust. That's why we're running Alpha. It's a course over several weeks where you can invite your friends to explore life's biggest questions over a meal. It's a chance for you to invite that person into an honest conversation about faith. Because when it's hard to find the moment, or the words, or the courage, you can simply invite. Alpha, who will you invite? So I've had a couple of opportunities to chat with some people that are important to me, and I've been able to invite them, and uh, just waiting to see how that, uh, how that will play out. Um, and if you do it, it'll look just like that. It'll happen just like that. And everybody will be smiley. You won't feel awkward at all. Um, no, you know that there's, there's some challenging there. But I, I encourage you, take that step of courage and have a conversation. And, and actually, um, they do a lot of the work for you. But it still takes you to make the invite. Okay, we are in Gospel of Luke. Gospel is another way of talking about good news. 
Um, when we talk about the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, we're talking about good news stories. And they're not just stories, they're historical accounts, but yes, they come from, from a theological viewpoint and with purpose and intent to help people understand who Jesus is. So we're spending a long time going through Luke's Gospel, section by section, learning about it. <clears throat> and today we're going to talk about power. Again, last week we talked about power and temptation. This week we're going to talk about power. And I wonder if, you, if you've noticed in our culture, in our society, the increasing emphasis on superpowers. You're a Marvel fan? You know, we could have fun. Which is better, Marvel or DC? Um, and uh, my son I, and I have some great conversations around that. But we all wish we had superpowers. I asked the staff to describe how I come into the office on Monday mornings, and this is what they came up with. So this is, uh, this is apparently how I come into the office on Monday morning. And if you believe that, um, good for you. But there's this increasing focus and emphasis on, on superheroes and having superpowers. And, and it's great entertainment. And we know that we can't have superpowers. But I think we wish we could. And we would find ourselves thinking, you know, if I had that, I would do this. Or if I could accomplish this thing, then I would do that. And, and I think our culture has a great fixation on power particularly. And not just superpower, but we love to see people elevated. And so a lot of the movies that we see, a lot of the books that we read, a lot of the news feeds that we get are often about an individual who has achieved some kind of power. They've risen to the top of their class. They've risen to the top of their field. They've risen to the top of their industry. And along the way, they've gained more and more status and they've acquired more and more power and influence. And often in our culture, we applaud that and we say, this is what success looks like. And success often comes associated with a certain amount of power. And it's tempting for us um, as individuals because we, if we're honest, within each of us, there's this element of, I want to have more power. And so our culture, um, I think, in many ways, um, portrays this kind of uh, individualistic pursuit of power where someone achieves, acquires, and has power bestowed upon them by others. And we find ourselves comparing how we are in the, in the status, uh, how we are in our status or how we are in our power compared to the people that are held up and elevated in this position. And, and I wonder if you've ever found yourself either thinking or saying out loud, if I was the boss, I would, and then you finish that sentence. Or if I was prime minister, I've heard this a lot in the last couple of weeks, if I was prime minister, I would, and, and that is actually a, a thought or a comment about, about our desire for power and influence. If I was in charge, I would take care of it. And even sometimes, maybe we've thought or we've said it, if I was God, I would. And we finish that sentence. And so what I want to do today 
is use Luke chapter 4, the rest of Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, all the way through to the end. And just look at how Jesus teaches us about power. And maybe there's some learning in there for us. So I want to read for us, beginning at verse 14, and we'll go down, I don't know, we'll go down until I feel like stopping. There's a lot of verses here. So Luke 4, verse 14, Jesus has just come out of a temptation period in the wilderness for 40 days. And, um, and you'll remember about that last week. If you missed last week, uh, you can go back and watch that. But we read this in verse 14. So after his temptation, Jesus returned to Galilee. He was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues, and he was praised by everyone. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And this is what he read. It's actually a quotation from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled to you this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be? They asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? And then he said, well, you'll undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in, the, in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. But Elijah wasn't sent to any of them. He instead was sent to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one was healed, Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. And jumping up, they, they mobbed him and they forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. And they intended to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. And then as you continue reading the chapter, Luke tells us Jesus went and he, he delivered a demon out of a man who was in the synagogue and then he went to Peter's house and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And a whole bunch of people came to Jesus and he healed all kinds of people and cast out all kinds of demons. And then just talked about carrying on with his teaching. So that's kind of the, the rest of the, the story there. But I want you to pay attention to what Luke is telling us. And, and Luke, as I've already alluded to in other Sundays, is Luke is very intent on allowing us to see how much, uh, how involved the Holy Spirit was in the life of Jesus. And sometimes I think we feel like Jesus was God, so that's why he could do all the things that he did. And I think Luke goes to great pains to make clear for us that Jesus was able to do the things he did and teach the way he taught because as a human he was surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And I think that should be an encouragement for us. 
But what Luke is doing here is saying that Jesus was filled with power from the Holy Spirit. And that is very different than what we see happening in the world today. Where so often when people are are pursuing power, they are trying to gather power from those around them. And that often comes uh, with success. It comes with, with acclamation. And they're looking for applause. They're looking for approval. They're looking for privilege. And they're looking for status from the crowd. And what you will find as you read through, particularly in Luke's gospel, is that Jesus refuses to do this. Jesus begins his ministry. If we go back to chapter 3, we read that when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended on him in bodily form. And it's this indication of the Spirit at work in Jesus' life. And Jesus lived obedient to the Spirit's leading. And Jesus lived a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And then Luke says the Spirit led him into the, into the, the wilderness or into the desert. And at this point, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is going out and it is power from the Spirit of God that is at work in him rather than him pursuing and acquiring power from those around him. Jesus refused to equate the power that he had with privilege. So I'll give you an example. John chapter 16, or John chapter 6. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. That's not a bad, you know, sideshow kind of gig. He's got a little bit of bread, you know, five loaves, two fishes, that kind of thing. And he feeds 5,000 people. Of course, they're probably not even aware of it. Maybe they are. We're not really told. The disciples certainly were because they knew how much they started with. In John chapter 6, verse 14, we read this. When the people saw Jesus do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. And when they talk about the prophet, they're talking about this Messiah figure, someone that was going to lead Israel out from under the oppression that they had been living under. And so they've been waiting for somebody, and it's like Jesus is the guy. Look what he just did. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Last week we talked about the temptations Jesus had, and I just want you to stop and and think about this. He fed over 5,000 people, and now those 5,000 people realize what he's done, and they are like, yes, this is the guy. Could you imagine the power trip? that that would give you? Steve, you are the man. We are not worthy. And, and there's thousands of people erupting and saying, this is the guy, we're going to make him king. Now, I don't know about you, and, and, I, and, and again, this may not be your thing, but I think that'd be pretty cool. It'd be like, finally, people recognize the truth. And Jesus refuses to accept that kind of power and privilege and status because he knows where it leads. And he just slips away by himself. And I think it's really important that we capture what Luke is doing here and emphasizing that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's working under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God at work in his life. And when God is at work in someone's life and God shares his power, that's what God does. He shares power with with us, with his people. 
and it never leads to exclusion. And so let's look at verse 14 here. Uh, Actually, let's go to the next one. I'm getting ahead of myself or behind myself. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where this was written. And let's just recap what he read from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Even Jesus is recognizing that. And he has anointed me to do the following. To bring good news to the poor. To proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will see. That the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor had come. A little bit of context about what was going on in Jesus' time is that the Jewish people that he's teaching in the synagogue had been living under uh, oppression for a long time. Not the kind of oppression that, that some of people in Canada are talking about right now, but this is about oppression like people would have, Christian people living in Iran or in a Muslim-majority country where there's things they just can't do. There's places they can't go. There's people they can't see. And so there were Romans that were oppressing them. There were the Syrian people. If you remember back in Luke 1 or in Luke 2 where we read that Quirinius was the one involved with the census that was taken when Jesus was born and he was governor of Syria. And so the Syrian people had been oppressing the Jewish people. The Roman people had been oppressing them. They were at war with Samaritans who they just thought as like half-Jews and impure, unclean people who worshipped the wrong God. And what you saw happening here was uh, people taking advantage whenever they could to exclude their enemies, to exclude the people that they didn't want to be with. And so the temple is a great example of this. If you were a non-Jewish person and you went to the temple in Jerusalem and you wanted to have access to God, you could only go to the very outer fringes of the temple. And so the temple was set up as uh, if you were a non-Jew or a Gentile, you could be around the outside here. And then if you're Jewish, you can come into this inner court. And then if you're a man, you can come into this court. And then if you're a priest, you can come into this court. And then if you're the high priest, you can go into the Holy of Holies. And so there there was a sense of status. And they used the power that they had to exclude people. And this happened in the synagogues as well. And do you remember the story of Jesus going into the temple and he's really angry and he turns over the tables and he runs all the animals out? Do you guys remember that story? Yeah? You ever wonder why he was so upset? A lot of people think, oh, it's because they were changing money in the church. And so we shouldn't sell things at church. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not an accurate interpretation. He got mad because the outer court, which was the place where non-Jewish people could worship God, had become a marketplace It was so noisy and so chaotic that there was nowhere for Gentile people to actually have access to worshiping God. It was as if this is here for you, but it's not really for you. We're just going to do what we want with it. And there was this great sense of exclusion that was taking place. And here Jesus is coming along in power and saying, no, we're going to set captives free. We're going to give sight to those who can't see. We're going to free people and the oppressed. And, of course, the non-Jewish people that are listening to Jesus' teaching are also thinking, like, well, the Romans do a really good job of oppressing people and excluding people as well. And so there's so many things that Jewish people couldn't do. And Roman people capitalized on that. The power that they had they used to exclude people. 
and keep them marginalized and keep them on the outside. And in the midst of this, Jesus is coming along and he's quoting from Isaiah. And what he's starting to do is push their buttons around power and exclusion. And whenever power is used to exclude someone, it is not from God. And I wonder if you think about our scenario today in our culture, in our country, in our region, where do you see people in power excluding others? How much are you contributing and participating in that? And what does the model of Jesus speak into that? So I leave you with that question to ponder. Let's talk a little bit about power and inclusion. Jesus quotes from, not exclusion, but inclusion. Jesus quotes from Isaiah 61. So this is what he says. Spirit's on me. I'm going to bring good news to the poor. I'm going to proclaim captives for, and, and release those who are in bondage. I'm going to give sight to the blind. The oppressed are going to be set free. In the time of the Lord's favor, that's the year of Jubilee. You can read about it in Leviticus 25, where land was given back to people that had lost it. Uh, slaves were released. It happened every 50 years. It was just a time of freedom and a time of release. And here's Jesus saying, here's what the good news is. The good news is for the poor, not for the wealthy. The good news is for releasing those captivity, not those who are free. This is good news for the blind, not for those who can or should see. This is good news for the oppressed, not for the oppressors. This is good news that it's the year of the Lord's favor, not the year of the Lord's disfavor. And he's quoting from Isaiah 61, verses 1, verse 2, and I'm sure that the people in the synagogue who listened to him read it went, wait a minute, you forgot the ending. You know, it'd be like me praying the Lord's prayer and then not finishing with, you know, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. He'd be like, uh, wait a minute. And I'd be like, oh, it's okay. I'm Catholic. If you didn't get that, that's okay. Um, this is the ending of Isaiah 61 verse 2. All this good news stuff. And then it finishes with, and with it, the day of God's anger or vengeance against Israel's enemies. And it, I'm convinced it's not a mistake I'm sure people were thinking, oh, Jesus forgot the ending. Well, sometimes that happens. I think this is very intentional. Jesus leaves off the part about God's vengeance against Israel's enemies. Because power is never meant to exclude people. It is meant to include them. And it is meant to give freedom. You know, it's curious... He quotes from Isaiah, and then Luke tells us that everybody spoke well of him. They were probably wondering, well, why did he leave the ending off? That's a bit curious. Ah, well, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And, of course, Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, well, um, well let's look at verse 27. He says to the people in the synagogue, there were many in Israel who had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only... The only one healed was Naaman, who was a Syrian. And he references that. And it's like, okay, you can read about this in 2 Kings 5. When Elisha was prophet, there were all kinds of people who had leprosy. But at that time, the only person you read about getting healed was a guy who was an enemy to the Jewish people. 
He was a commander of the Syrian army. And he also quotes about this widow from Zarephath and and a prophet named Elisha who preceded Elijah. And he says, during that time, there were all kinds of widows in Israel, but God didn't send the prophet to any of those widows. He sent them to a woman outside of Jewish territory. And he stayed with her and he took care of her. And when Jesus says these two things, everything changes. He was fine with quoting from Isaiah 61, even though he left off the ending. But then he pushes things further. And he's like, it's the foreigner. It's the outcast. It's the marginalized and it's your enemies are the people that God wants to use his power to release and to give sight to and to free them. And then that's when he gets into trouble. And they try to use not only their power, but they try to use violence to end Jesus' life. Power is never meant to be used to exclude people, but to bring them in. God gives humanity the power to partner with him, to care for this planet, to care for each other, to throw the nets wide and bring everybody in. And as you come into the ending of Luke chapter 4, there's this sense of power and freedom. Look at this verse. Actually, it's verse 18 and verse 36. Quoting from Isaiah, the oppressed will be set free. And then what Jesus does after he teaches is he sets somebody free. A man in the synagogue who was uh, possessed by a demon... Jesus releases him from that demon, casts the demon out. And then the people are like, whoa, even the evil spirits obey him. And there's this thing about power and freedom that Jesus is modeling for us, that Jesus is teaching us, that power is meant to be given away. Power is meant to seek the prosperity of other people. Power is meant to flourish other people. And it's meant to create freedom. Power, according to Jesus, at least what I see model in his life, is never meant to be held over people to control them. But power is used to come under people and free them and serve them. And it's not just about spiritual freedom. Yes, Jesus came to set people free spiritually, to free us from our sins, to make us right with God. But he also came to set people free physically. And later in Luke 4, he's healing people with physical ailments and defects, and he's healing them. And it's also meant to set people free socially. Jesus spends so much of his time elevating the marginalized and the outcast and giving them status in the community that they never had with anybody else. Power is meant to bring freedom. Power is meant to be shared. Power is meant to flourish people. And he makes this so clear when in the synagogue there's this dude with a demon in him. And Jesus casts out the demon. And you can can read about this. um, I'm going to keep my glasses on here. From verse 31 through to verse 37. Where the demon actually starts to speak to Jesus. And speaks in the plural as if it's representing a whole host of evil beings. And Jesus cuts him short and orders him out of the man. 
And that's where the people exclaim, even the evil spirits obey him. And it raises a question when it comes to power in Jesus and the church. What about demons? What do we do with demons today? Well, if you go to the notes in the website and download those, I've given some extra material about how you might just consider thinking about demons today. There's only so much time we have on a Sunday morning and we don't want to try to squish everything in. So I'm going to leave that question with you. What about demons today? Are they still real? Are they still relevant? Are they still at work? And in the notes section on the website with the sermon, you can just read some. There's no video this time. It's just some points and some scriptures that you can look up and uh, learn a little bit more about that for yourself. But I do want to make one point about this, which I think is really important for us to grasp. Where was the man when Jesus cast the demon out of him? He was in the synagogue. And so often when we think about demon possession and people who have evil spirits in them, we think of people who are out there. And several times in the story of Jesus, he is casting out demons. If you go to Mark 139, it says that he preached in the synagogues and cast out demons. And it's just this curious point that evil can be just as prevalent inside the community of faith as it can be on the outside. And people who are people of faith also need to be delivered from evil just as much as people who are on the street. And I just felt like that's something that we need to consider and hear. Particularly when Jesus models for us how power invites inclusion and not exclusion. At the end of the day, Jesus doesn't deny the power that he has. And I think it would be foolish for us to say, don't seek power. If you have power, get rid of it. I think that would be foolish. Jesus doesn't deny that he has power, but he refuses to use his power for privilege and for status, and instead he uses it to serve others and to seek their prosperity. And I wonder what would happen if in the church, as individuals, we began to model how Jesus lives a life of power, of where it comes from instead of where we're seeking it from of how it's used, of how it's not used. And I just encourage you to ponder what he's done, not only in his teaching and quoting from Isaiah 61, but also in how he lives out a power that is used to free people, to come under them and serve them, instead of holding it over them to control them. And then, of course, in the coming weeks, we'll look at um, the power that Jesus has to destroy evil itself. And the good news isn't just about salvation from our sins, but it's also about Jesus destroying the work of the enemy and of overcoming evil in this world and the part that we get to play in it. But for today, recognizing power 
and how it's used for freedom and for flourishing and for sharing. Let's pray. Lord God, may we be people that are spirit-filled. And with the filling of the spirit, that we would be a people that recognize the power of God that is at work in us. And as the Apostle Paul wrote, it's a power that we don't have to be ashamed of because it has the power to save. It has the power to free. It has the ability to release people. So may we not be a people that are, that are trying to run away from power, but are recognizing how power is used. And one, to recognize that we look to you as our source of strength. And that we be mindful of how we might be looking for status and influence and power from those around us. And may the church be characterized as a place of inclusion, as a place of freedom, as a place of, of joy, of sight for the blind, of captives being released. And may the demons that are out there or the demons that are in here tremble because the Spirit of God is fully present. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for watching online. Uh, next week, we have a guest speaker. His name is Stephen Roy, and he is coming to um, help us um, not only learn from the scriptures, but to represent Mennonite Central Committee in the relationship we have with this wonderful organization. So that'll be uh, next Sunday, and we look forward to having you back. Drive safe out there in the wind, and uh, God bless you. Visit, hang around, and we'll, um, we'll catch up with you next week. Bye for now.